Welcome, it's Amish Inquisition time, yet again! By two tortoise. <laughs> it's um, episode 94 on Sunday, the 11th of August, and I am Amish Phil, we have Amish Ben in the house! Hello! And we're back with Jim Bambe! Yes! <laughs> yes, everybody out of the pool! <laughs> Otherwise known as Bam Jimba. How are you, Jim? I'm I'm as good as it as good as I can be. Good as it gets. Yeah. Oh, my other answer is usually I am to fucking clue. <laughs> <laughs> we should say um, before we get rolling that if you've not heard us talk with Jim before, I highly recommend you go back and listen to previous episodes eighty-five and eighty-eight because uh-huh. we're doing a kind of chronology, really. Um, and just to have a quick recap, more for our benefit than for the eavesdroppers. Um, last time we covered Wombles, Jim's intro to Reggae and Sly and Robbie, um, your meeting with Harry Boggs, Harry Bogdanovs, and yes. the forming of Studio Two. Bless him. Uh, we went through touring with Squeeze, Dire Straits, Clapton, working at the Comedy Store, uh, where you met Alexis Sale. Went on to we Alexis Sale, which led to the young ones. And we ended with the fallout of Harry with Harry and the breakup of the band. We did. Which we reckon is somewhere be, probably between 82 and 84, maybe around that time. Around right about that time. That's around about it. So uh, so your world came to a crashing halt when the band broke, broke up, didn't it? It did, really. And I think, uh, you, you know, like I said at the end of the last one, um, it really upset me, mm. you know. Uh, it upset both of us. I mean, uh, recently, Alexis been has published his memoirs, and I went down to London, and we kind of all got together, you know, uh, and that was good because I, I through through Harry's wife, I could get get to talk to him, and uh, and I kind of made amends to him, you know. We kind of got together and had a chat, and it was good, you know. It was good because, yeah, that really upset me. I think, you know, looking back on it, as I have over these past few weeks, that was one of that was one of the main things. Where because from kind of here on in, my uh, well, my, my music career—it it doesn't really go down the pans, mm. but it 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 gets more um, drug fueled, if you like. You know, I, yeah. I got it was. 
the end of the progression, you know, for the end of the 80s and beginning of the 90s was my kind of last decade, uh, you know, uh, using right. using um, mind-altering substances. substances. Uh, so, so we're into that period. But um, So after um, you broke up with Harry, did you... Were you still doing session work and yes. uh, at you know looking for another band? Or I found on right. I found on and I found one of the biggest con men ever walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, great guy, <laughs> <laughs> great guy. There's a band. Uh, there's a band called the Trees, and uh, this was the this is the first time I went to America. All right. I joined this band called The Trees, who were, well, not to put too fine a point on it, bang at it, you know. Uh, fun loving criminals. <laughs> bang at it in what? In the sense of uh, drugs? Yes. Yeah. And, and fun loving criminals. Right. Good track. I like that. Yeah, fun loving yeah. criminals. Um, yeah, I mean, for example, well, uh, before. Uh, yeah, before that, I'll tell you about my first trip to America. Martin, I I uh, joined the band because the the drummer before me nearly nearly killed himself on uh, on on various stuff, you know. Right. I've got to get the public warnings in, you know, yeah. pretty quick. Um, but uh, yeah, we he was signed to. Uh, an American record company, which was based in um, Maryland, uh, uh, Gene the Genie, right? Gene the Genie, and the, uh, I didn't know this at the time, but this guy was one of the biggest cocaine dealers in, like in Washington and uh, Maryland and Baltimore and Bells, <laughs> had a few wow. stations was, over. Was this was this a reference to Gene Genie, the Bowie song? No, no, something else. No, his, his real name was Gene Rosenthal, and he's a New York, uh, New York Jewish guy, and he came from a long line of uh, music producers. His his father was uh, part of the brick building, you know, the kind of songwriting place. Uh, yeah, long long line of kind of music business people, mm. you know. I said, this was the first time that I went to America, you know. Uh, Martin said, because um, uh, the, the band used to be called Martin Forrest and the Trees. Right. And uh, I think, I can't remember whether we just, I can't remember when we <coughs> we just started calling it the tree. Anyway, uh, yeah, we got, we went to, this was the first, my first experience of America, man. We went over there to stay with Gene in Maryland, which is uh, just outside um, Washington. And um, uh, we got picked up um, from the plane by a guy called Captain John, who he was a bit like Big Sid, you know, that I've talked about before, you know, mm-hmm. kind of roadie for the, you know, roadie roadie. Yeah, you know he'd work with the little feet and the Oldman brothers and fucking you know everybody. <coughs> it's 
excuse me. And um, yeah, we got in the house and um, we, got, we were going to do the business and sign the contract for the for the al album and uh, you know and all the rest of it. And we were we were getting kind of settled in, if you like, you know, with a few drinks and a few bits and pieces. And <laughs> and the and the the phone rang, and Gene said, oh, kind of, and um, he said, "Come along, boys." And uh, what we didn't realise uh, right then was what also what Gene had was um, a nightclub. Uh, and loads of record shops right. in, in Washington and, and in, in Baltimore. So made a lot of money. And um, so we all piled into this uh, massive great big fuck-off. Uh, what do they call them? Not, it's not a hatchback, is it? Studebaker? Is it? No, no, what do they call them, those big American cars? Yeah, a station wagon. A station wagon. That's yeah. exactly what it was. And I'm sat in the front and... Uh, and we pulled up to this. Uh, we pulled up to this record shop, and because uh, Gene had just said, "Oh, I've got a bit of trouble at the record shop." God, God damn! His favourite word was "God damn it, God <laughs> damn it!" And uh, so we pulled up. And, I mean, it's like fucking, you know. Um, there was, you know, red and. You know, red and white lights everywhere, flashing and tapes mm. and bits of you know, you know, police everywhere and ambulances and fuck knows what. And uh, he said, "Come on, guys." And we walked in, and I mean, it, it's like a, a murder scene. You know, there's blood and I, I, uh, um, I've never forgotten it. And uh, Gene, you know, you're the owner, and started talking about this and that and the other, and. He, he spoke to his manager and everything, and then we got back in the car. And I'll never forget this. Gene just turned around to me and he said, Welcome to fucking America, motherfucker. Bloody hell. Welcome to America, motherfucker. Yeah. Un unbelievable. Did you find out what had happened? Or what was, yeah, was just it, a robbery. Man. It was a robbery gone wrong. Yeah, just a robbery. The, yeah. the, was it these the uh, person working in the store who'd been killed? Yeah. Bloody hell. It's yeah, and, and, two, and two other people injured because it's quite a big place, you know. It's oh, a big, right. big record shop. You wouldn't think to rob a record shop, would you? Well, got a lot of money. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Um, you know, yeah. If it's, I suppose it depends on the size of the store. Uh, you mentioned, I just wrote down there. You, this is sort of the early eighties when you first got to America. Now this would be uh, no, no, no. This is this is late. Late. This 80s. is later on. Later on. Yeah, because as we. I think as we we got hold of, didn't we? That the young ones was uh, around about eighty two, the first yeah. episode. Yeah, and I can't remember when we recorded, so that was probably mid eighties, and this is a couple of years later on. So we're going towards the the back end of the eighties. We're going towards the back end of the eighties, really. But this early nineties is well. It's probably I don't know if it would be the height then, but it's when America was in the middle of the crackhead epidemic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was, you know, a rough time by all accounts, weren't it? And then you get the, was, the war it on drugs. It was horrendous, actually, because I don't think crack had quite come in then. But but what people were doing, I mean, I was doing, was what's called freebasing. 
Oh. Which is yeah. smoking cocaine, mm. which is the same thing, except cracks are a kind of different chemical process. Yeah, well, crack, they were trying to but crack, shrink it, weren't they? So It, it was, was just so addictive, though, crack. I was yeah. Like, you know, it was to I make mean, it easier to ship and increase yeah. their overheads, weren't it? Yeah, nasty shit. Cocaine is hard to move because of the size of it. It was nasty concentrated, shit. weren't it? Bloody yeah, hell. so we um, we uh, uh, got the deal signed and everything, and money for um, we we're going to make the album in England, right? Uh, with a producer whose name is uh, Gil Norton, a guy called Gil Norton recorded it in uh, in Liverpool. In, in Amazon Studios, actually, it's called Amazon Studios, but it's in Liverpool, and um, well, hell of an area, you know. But then Gene said uh, we had to um, uh, go up to New York. He gave us tickets to go to New York, and he made his appointment with this big agency in in New York, and get signed up for our first tour. Wow! So we we got on the Amtrak, and uh, first time. Uh, first time I've ever been in New York, mm. you know, and uh, Martin had been there before, uh, and it came out of kind of Ben Station. It's, it's kind of one floor below ground. If you yeah. Understand what I mean? So that he come out of the station, and I'll never forget. You know, I, I just look round. The pavements are about from here to the end of that decking outside the, the, the massive pavements, and it just goes kind of up. And on. Yeah. You understand what I mean? It's absolutely fucking shit myself. Yeah. I, mean, I remember grabbing hold of fucking Martin's hand. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you soft fucker. What the? <laughs> and I, I, but I, yeah, gobsmacked, man. I was gobsmacked by fucking New York. Mm. And a funny story about that was, well, we went to see, well, the other funny story is we got to this agency and we... We're in this room with this big, wonderfully jolly kind of black lady, big, big black lady in this agency. And we walked in and um, and she was absolutely fucking blaring at somebody on the fucking phone, you know, really t tearing kind of some, some bells up them, you know. Uh, you know, and she put the phone down and we sat there and she said, Oh, another fucking problem with little Brucey. He's a pain in the ass. And we, we found out later that's Springsteen. The boss. Keith <laughs> 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 Springsteen. Yeah. You think, fucking hell. So that was quite funny. But the worst thing for me about that trip, well, not the worst. I mean, it's 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 fucking funny now, you know, but we we, we had a lot of, it was a bit of Hunter Thompson ass catches because we had, <laughs> we had quite a lot of, we had quite a lot of drugs on us, uh, and obviously you, you know, uh, American American security you can't just waltz through a fucking airport, really, you know. With um, so we decided to take them all. So we were, fucking absolutely, you know, we we're absolutely fucking blottoed by the time we got to the by the time we got to the airport. And I I'd just gone through this screen, you know the, you know. Take all, your, take all your take all your jewellery off mm. and blah blah blah. And I got to the other side, and I just got to the other side, 
and I was still putting my watch back on or something, went, the whole fucking place went nuts. Fucking lights flashing and fuck knows what. And I turned around and I thought, oh, for fuck's sake, Martin, what you've done now, that's it, you know. this. And the next thing I know, I'm adopting the fucking position. Oh, God. I'm up against a fucking wall like that and somebody's spreading their fucking feet. And I just look behind me like that and there's a gun right on my fucking head Ooh. there. A gun. Wow. A gun. And I thought, shit, what the fuck's he done now? You know, because it could be a bit of a boy, you know, <laughs> Martin. I thought, what's he done now? And what he'd done was, he'd, he, in his luggage, because he, he had two boys, two two young boys, one about 10 or 12, something like that, he bought them both a, a cowboy outfit, you know, uh, with a yeah, fucking with a gun, with a fucking gun <sighs> in it, and put just put it in his luggage, you know. Oh, for uh. fuck's sake, fuck, fuck for that. You know. <sighs> but I mean, I, yeah, man, that's a, I'm, my first experience of America, you know. Was, uh, she shit. didn't get a full cavity search. <laughs> Would have been worse. No, that was like that was number ten, wasn't it? I've I, I, I told that on there. No, uh, we we'll need later. to remember that because it's further yeah, on we'll in the timeline, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, having your bum felt in number ten. <laughs> That's where the next episode, kid, is. <laughs> um, yeah, so we came back, we recorded this album, and then we went on tour in America. Went on tour in America and. Uh, we were touring with a band called the Nighthawks. And uh, I remember speaking to Gene on the phone and I said, uh, you, you know, how many gigs? He said, well, the goddamn Nighthawks play about 370 gigs a year. <laughs> so you can imagine what the fuck was. Uh, all right, right, okay. <clears throat> when we got over there, they had this, they're a biker band. Oh, a I was going to say piece, Blues Rock. A three-piece kind of biker-type uh, motorhead, really. Right. It reminded me of, you know, really fucking in-your-face mm. rock and roll, you know, heavy rock. And then this big black bus, you know, with a pair of cow horns on it. <laughs> They're from Texas. The Nighthawks from Texas. Right. And, I mean, there's some money, you know. It's like, never mind, no sleep till fucking Amazon. There's just no fucking sleep, <laughs> you know. But what got me about touring America was we played at Gene's uh, nightclub in in Washington D.C. for two nights, called the Wax Museum, um, and then our next gig after those two gigs was about thirteen hundred kilometers away. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you can get you can get GB into into you know the little bit down, you know near Miami. You mm. can get it into that a little bit at the bottom. You don't realize how big the place is. Oh, so you've driven so across you're just it, driving and driving and driving. And the other thing that got me uh, was when he did one tour, uh, it nearly fucking killed me. Mm. <coughs> um, was. Uh, you know, you could roll up in, in kind of uh, Arkansas or Georgia or somewhere, you know, and it'd be in the middle of the night 
um, you know, sort of bumps up Tennessee somewhere out on the road, and you'd pull into, you know, like a kind of motel type place, you know, to stay, and there'd be a kind of bar and grill there, you know. Um, I'll never forget this, uh, you know, there's, you could pull in, and then there was a kind of period of time where you just sat around the bar kind of drinking, and then all of a sudden all these, all these, Trucks would start arriving, you know, around about ten o'clock at night, oh. and then a band would come in. And I, I, I'm not kidding you, man. These people in, in backwoods, miles from fucking anywhere, were twice as good as we were. Really? Wow. You know, it's like you start thinking, what the fuck is going on here? You know, <laughs> why? You know, every band was kind of like Little Feet or the or the Allman Brothers or something. You know. Techni in a technical sense, technically nice. gifted yeah, and just, tight. just fantastic. What do you pull that, that band to? Fucking rock and roll bands, you know. Always doing tons of gigs. Yeah. Tons and tons of gigs yeah, just yeah, everywhere. Yeah, but every gig's 1,300 kilometres away from next one. <laughs> oh, these probably, local boys, they'll just probably, be doing Well, they just stick around at home, innit, yeah. I guess. But, uh, but we, did, we did have some kind of criminal things going on at the time. Mm -hmm. I won't go into it too heavily. <laughs> One of the Statue of Limitations, Jim, you're right. <laughs> oh, that's true, isn't it? Eighties, yeah. Well, okay. no, no, the main thing was uh um that we learned this from Europe but realised we can make more money in America. What you did was you bought um half a dozen cheap copies of kind of Fender and Gibson guitars for about five hundred quid in London. Uh Took them to America, and then replaced them with thousand pound Fenders and Gibsons after you'd got paid, and you made about two grand on each when you sold them in England. Ah, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Because they were because <laughs> they were so much cheaper to buy them in the states. Yeah, yeah, because of import yeah. taxes and shipping. Yeah, all yeah, that. they still are. They still are. Cheap. Yeah, Not to the same are. extent. Oh, God, but... yeah, it's unbelievable, man. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that, and um, the album didn't do all that well. So I'll show you that. I've still got it. What type of music was it? Uh, it was kind of um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was strange music, really. It was a kind of funk, rock, jazz, a bit of everything, really. I mean, it, <laughs> it rocked, you know. Yeah. You know, rocked. It was a good, good band. Oh fuck, yeah, good band, good band. But um, a lot of it depends what's selling at the time and what's in the fashion at the time, though, doesn't it? Yeah, but uh, I mean, we we were on tr tour specifically, I think, because we, you know, we'd sent loads of um, uh, cassette tapes and everything off to send them ahead. What uh, he had, but Martin had, yeah, right. So you post. Dem like demos and oh. albums ahead of wherever you were touring. So they'd kind of to the radio the... stations, the local stations and stuff. Yeah, and the, yeah. yeah, but the, the well, no, the album was out then. Oh, it was we all right. Only, we only toured once it was released. Once the album right, came out. Right. Yeah. So you know, <clears throat> and when we got home, uh, Martin said, um, "Well, Gene." Gene's business partner 
there's a track on the album called Goodnight Susie. Gene's <laughs> business partner, partner was a, a, a kind of a real foxy kind of high-powered lady called Susie. Um, I can't remember his second name. Legal attorney, you know, but they were in a relationship as well. She got busted big time for a big, big stuff, you know. And, uh, and so that kind of fell, fell apart. <coughs> Gene was all over the place and, you know, not handling it too well. So... I have to. I have to say before this, we toured a lot in, in Europe as the trees. That's right. We toured. Right. We toured a lot in Europe as the trees. Yeah. You know, we did. We did several tours of Europe um, as the which is where my I've got my I've got a slip disc on this side and a crushed vertebrae. You know, I was in Norway, man. Fuck. Um, we're touring Norway and uh, we we were in Oslo. And uh, we um, were watching the TV and it said, the thing is kind of walls of snow, you know, absolute walls of snow by the side of the road, you know, mm -hmm. when I first got to Norway. And but we were watching the TV and it said, the road over Fleckfjord is stanked. <laughs> Shut Right, and we thought, ah, oh, fucking great, because we could, we had to go over. But you're always forever going over fjords and in, in Norway. So, um, so we thought, ah, oh, great, we got a fucking night off, you know. So we got some hot and cold running women in and loads of bits and pieces, etc., <laughs> yeah. uh, etc. Et and then Sven, they're all called fucking Sven, <laughs> Sven came in and said, ah, yes, we go, yes. <laughs> oh shit, we have gig tonight, yes. And we go, no, a fucking road trip. Have you seen the state of the road? He said, oh, it will be clear in a few hours. I went, fucking hell. Because they've got these snow plows, you know, that blow mm. the snow out. And then you've just got a, a wall of snow. Mm. You know, you just go through. Um, anyway, so that was that, you know. Yes, I have chains on the wheels. We will go. You know, and, so, and it's one of those roads that winds up like that, you know, like a snake. You wind up to the top of the fjord mm. and then you start coming down the other side. Oh, and we started fucking sliding, man. We started sliding. And believe you me, there's about a thousand foot drop over there at the side of the road into <sighs> water which you would not last two minutes. No. no. You know? Um, but thankfully, what happened was uh, the road jutted out and we went into the mountain. Oh, great. <laughs> Result. No, no, but seriously, that's the only reason why I'm fucking still here, man, you know. Shit it out. But unfortunately, uh, something hit me on the back of the neck, but I'd also I'd slipped this disc and crushed the vertebrae in the back. And, and I was still playing the Simmons, and I had the Simmons, uh, and of course I'm flacking this fucking thing every night, and we... We went to, I can't remember, Sweden, you know, the usual. Scandinavia. We start off in Iceland to come down, Finland, Norway, around. And I got airlifted out of Paris. I just woke up one morning, I couldn't fucking move, in absolute fucking agony. You woke up in Paris? Yeah. Wow. I got as far as that. 
well, again, painkillers and booze stuff, you know. Oh, yeah, God. I've got air that to the put on traction and stuff, you know. Oof. Yeah. So that was that to have cancelled then, I presume, for... Yeah. But I was very lucky uh, to meet a um, osteopath. It's the first time I came... Because like, when I came out of the hospital, they were all going, oh, you never play the fucking drums again, you know. Bloody hell. Never play the drums again, mate. Because I was all bent over, and, and I, I've still got an x-ray somewhere on my spine, which had... My spine had gone into spasm, mm. like a snake, you know, because it, it was a bit like the Fibonacci <laughs> series, you know, the, the, the muscles go round your back mm. and they go into spasm like that. And um, so I went to this osteopath and, uh, yeah, he was brilliant. He got me up straight and he got me exercising and working again. Is that like a physiotherapist <laughs> an osteopath? Well, no, bone guy. osteopaths are kind of bone people. Uh, you know, they really know about bones, whereas doctors haven't got a clue, you know, they just give you painkillers and... Moxicillin, 500 milligrams. What's the what? A moxicillin, 500 milligrams. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's what you get usually, isn't it? Brought me leg. <laughs> <laughs> moxicillin, man. But the first time I went to see this guy... There was a bloke in the waiting room, and I thought, um, I thought I know him. And um, you, you know, you don't like to go up and say, you know, who the fuck are you, kind of thing. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, well, when I went in, I said, Thomas, because um, he recognised that guy in the waiting room, and he said, because he only does musicians, Thomas. Right, because um, he used to be a classical pianist, and he he um, he got bone problem and all that, so he taught himself. And he said, "Oh, well, that's a huge menu." And, oh, fucking hell! And he was about seventy then. But if you think about it, you know the um, the position that violins violinists are in had all kinds of problems. Yeah, oh, repetitive yeah, strain in, in, in industry. <laughs> industry. <laughs> RSI, they call it, don't they? Yeah. Right. So he, he got you back in the... Excuse uh, me, I've got a copy of it now. Tom asked, the osteopath got you back in the swing of things and got you back playing again. Yeah, and then we, got, and then we carried on toward America. Right. Um, but Was anyone when we got, But when we got back, I found out how big a con man... Uh, Martin was. He borrowed money left, right, and centre from various banks right. in the UK, and they were all after him, you know. Bull uh, suits and uh, God knows what. But he was married to a Kiwi, and um, Leslie, his wife. And so they just fucked off to New Zealand. All oh, right. On the wrong way. Just fucked up to New Zealand, and that's how, that's how that band ended, in debt. Oh, man. <coughs> so, yeah, we nearly got done for it, but the members of the band weren't really involved in any of the skullduggery, you know. No. So that was cool, but Martin fucked up. And then about a year later, I got um, a telephone call from Martin, Saying, um, 
It's a fucking spinal tap. It's like spinal tap. <laughs> he said, um, uh, I'm playing in, I'm playing in, I'm, I'm teaching again, because he was a teacher. He said, I'm teaching again, uh, but I've got a band together. I had a band together for about a year called The Long Walk. And I went, oh, God, yeah, is that from the Steve Earle song? I said, yeah. He said, listen, uh, we've had a number one record in New Zealand. I'm like, fuck, I know. Yeah, two sheep in his mum bought him. Mm. Yeah. But he was signed to Kiri Takanawa's husband's record company. She's an opera singer, famous opera singer. Right. And they came under the umbrella of Mushroom Records in Australia, mm. which is uh, Neighbours. Right. And Kylie Minogue and all mm. a lot of muck and money, man, you know? So, and then he said, and then this is a spinal tap bit. He said, uh, our drummer's on an unfortunate accident. <laughs> <laughs> he actually said that to me on the phone. A freak gardening accident. Uh, yeah, bizarre gardening accident. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I said, oh, fuck, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And he said, he said, well, you're the only man for the fucking job, Joe. And I went, oh, what? And he said, yeah, he said, I've Talk to the record because he could talk the hind leg of a donkey, this guy, I'm telling you. And he got all expenses paid. So I had six months in New Zealand. Ah. First class airfares, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. To, to promote this, uh, promote this, um, this record. And we did about half a dozen dates in, uh, in uh, but by this time, I'm really at it, man, you know. I'm really at it, and uh, there, there were quite a few times. I think this was the first time when I was touring, when you know I I was almost too out of it to play. You know, right. you know. I think on one occasion there was there was a one occasion when I was too out, just too out of it to play. You know, which is, sorry, bang the microphone. Um, Started a new one. <laughs> you know, which I'm not fucking proud of. But it was an interesting time because there were two married guys in the band. And uh, one of Steve, one of the guys, picked me up from the airport because uh, I had to fly to Auckland and I had to fly to the, what's called Wakatane Airport, which is about as big as this flat, right? to be honest. <laughs> you know, and I walked outside and there's this guy in a big Holden car, you know, Going, yeah, you, you missed the gym. Yeah, let's go now. We're going to buy 48 cans of piss, get some fucking rolling papers, <laughs> go back to Marty's and have a party, man. So that was it. And I was staying with him. What right. a fucking character he was. <laughs> I'll, sh I'll show you some pictures maybe later. <laughs> fucking beautiful. Great guitarist. Fucking yeah. nice guitarist. And the bass player was uh, a Maori guy as well. Right. And, uh, that's a fucking beautiful country, you know. Mm. But um, one of the funny, the funny stories about that was um, uh, the very first gig we did was in some big hotel. We had these, in, in New Zealand and Australia, they seem to have massive kind of hotels on corners, you know, but, and the bottom floor is just like a, a huge boozer, you know, with, a, with, with probably a kind of little kind of theatre bit. Mm. at the back where he played gigs. Uh, so the first gig, 
this was my int introduction to um, Maori uh, stuff. Uh, we tore into our first, because we rehearsed for about a week in the school. Uh, I was using the school drum kit. I've tweaked it up a bit, but uh, yeah. But um, uh, we tore into our fucking first number, you know, it's great. And uh, and at the end, complete silence. And I thought, what the fuck's going on here? You know? And they're all stood there, this fucking Maoris, with their arms folded like that. <laughs> their arms folded. And it, it got to the end of the first half. Nothing. And I went up to Steve at half time and I was, what the hell is going on here? You know, I thought we were fucking brilliant. <laughs> and he said, oh, that's, that's standing staunch, Jim. They're standing staunch. He said that they don't applaud until the end. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, all right. Okay. And then at the end of the gig, the whole bar was just covered in drinks. Wow. Right. And they went fucking apeshit. You know, they were carrying us around the fucking room and shit. Wow. wow. It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah strange. It's like that kind of standing staunch fucking entertainers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, At least right. they're not on the phones or doing their uh, <laughs> filming gigs. <laughs> and, and, and that's where I got introduced to the mongrel mob. You'll you'll enjoy this. The mongrel mob is one of the big backer gangs in in uh, in New Zealand. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the very first ever biker gang in the world. The mongrel mob. In really. Before, even before California and all, yeah, right. all that. Big Maori. Right. Maori, you know. And uh, towards the end of the tour, we'd done a half a dozen in uh, uh, Australia and come back. Towards the end of the tour, Steve said, uh, we'd been invited up to the mountain. I thought, oh, that sounds a bit religious <laughs> or, or something. It sounds, sounds, you know, it's about a mongrel mob. I went, oh, right, okay. He said, yeah. He said, um, it's kind of like a w weekend kind of mini festival thing they do up there, and we've been invited to play the music. Big honour, apparently, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we went up there. Um, you know the gates that they have at kind of Windsor Safari Park? You know, one opens, you drive in. Oh, yeah, like an airlock sort of it thing. It shuts behind you. And then the other one opens and you and you come out. Well, it was like that, and it was up in the hills, and there were there were kind of towers with people with guns on them. Fuck you know. You know. Right. This is a, a, a place, and I, I, I've never seen so much marijuana in my fucking life. <laughs> uh, and they've got like it's kind of like a compound, you know, mm -hmm. where these guys live, you know. I've seen uh, the fucking police or anything. Oh, no, the fucking police don't come up here, mate. You know. So, yeah. And um, so there we were all set up for the for the evening gig, you know, and everything. And I have to remember about the standard staunch bit and all that. And um, uh, fired into the first kind of hour or so, you know. And then we thought we'd have a break. 
and I was just ordering a, a, I was just ordering a drink at the bar. When I got tapped on the shoulder, and I turned round, and I'm the big guy, man, you know. But this guy was about as tall as that door, right? You know, I had to kind of look up at him like this, and what he said to me was, "Massive." <laughs> massive, yeah. Massive drums. Massive. <laughs> massive. And, and what he did was, Marty said he'd never seen anything like this in his life. He got me by the fucking shoulders and just picked me up and put me, sat me on the bar. Like a, <laughs> and sat me on the bar like a kid. Yeah. You know. And then he said, my name's Cruncher. Because <laughs> I, I was thinking his name was Massive. To begin with, and he's a leader. He was the leader of the oh, gang. Yeah, I've got some pictures of El, him. El Presidente. Yeah. Cruncher. Cruncher. I fucking loved my drumming for some reason. Just, you know, couldn't get enough of it. So we were there for a week. Wow. We're meant to be there for two nights. We're there for a week. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Well, you can't say no to these guys. No, you know, no. when they've got machine <laughs> yeah. guns on towers. You know. But oh. we made more money in that week than we did from the whole tour. Really? And it, it was the club who was paying you, was it? Or yeah. did they used to hand yeah. out like well, yeah, collections and stuff? Take collections and, right. uh, and stuff. And uh, just, yeah. And all the food you could, all the booze you could drink, mm -hmm. all the dope that you could smoke. Yeah, yeah you know. So by the time I got back to the UK after that, yeah. <coughs> I was really into it, man. You know. Do you fancy joining a motorcycle gang, Ben? Me? <laughs> yeah, what in New Zealand, maybe? <laughs> that sounds all right, doesn't it? <laughs> Race them, though, don't you? Yeah, different kind. I once went round Alton Park on the back of a motorbike with Mike Halewood. Really? I did. Mike the bike? Wow. Yeah, because I was at school with a guy called North, who, who I believe I must or used to have big motorcycle shops in, in North. Manchester. North's right. motorcycle shops. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good story, that. Scared me yeah, fucking rigid, man. Jesus, fuck them. I could, I could see my knees. I could see my knees about, <laughs> about a fucking centimeter away from the <laughs> fucking ground. Yeah, you know that fucking leaning Sideways, over. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, now talking about that. No, I'm not a man for motorbikes. Me, I was a rocker for a time when I was a kid. I'm mm. um, told you this. I did have a BSA two fifty. You know, yeah. I think I've told you about Timmy Tavar. I'm on the rock and roll, and and uh, you know, come on, everybody, mm. and uh, you know, early rock and roll. So when I was 16, I, I you know, got a, a motorbike, but that only lasted for a year. Yeah. As soon as I had the small faces, that was it. I was a mod then. Right. Right. I was Con straight into the herringbone suits and the hipsters and the converted and. and uh, Shoes that you used to steal from uh, bowling alleys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, those oh, shoes yeah. that you used to steal from bowling alleys. Yeah, very. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it was fashion. One of the most fashionable things in mod 
Yeah, it's a steel fucking bowling alley shoes. Red and white. Yeah, they were. Half yeah. white, half they were, red. They were kind of all different colours, weren't yeah. they? But it was just the shape of them, I think, yeah. that everybody liked. Clown shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, man. Oh, man. Yeah. So you bailed the, the tour out in New Zealand and then came back to Blighty after that, did you? Yeah. And uh, I kind of fucked about for a bit. I, I, I really got kind of, you know, there's a, you know, us addicts say, you know, if um, I got into this later, but I kind of worked in treatment centres and things and prisons. But I mean, if you could, if you could manage that or pick out that moment where you know you go over the you mm. go over the limit, you know, it reminds me of that Eddie Izzard thing, you know, about you know um, dressing up in the sixties, you know, you were kind of looking cool, looking pretty cool, looking very cool looking cool and then looking like a right dickhead <laughs> you know you cross a line somewhere yeah. you know yeah. and uh, you know if you could bottle that then you know we could fucking deal deal with it more you know because nobody really knows when when you slip over into you're using drugs no you're not they're using they're you. using you yeah you know mm. they're using you and uh, during that time i did you descended. Mm. And that threshold will be different for every individual as well, won't it? Yeah, you know, completely. And, of course, and what you're using and how you're using it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's all but psychological, it, isn't it? Progressive, you know. Well, the heroin's physical and... Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, there are some physically addicted... Yes, but, there's... Uh, alcohol's the worst. For physical addiction, oh, yeah. But I think Alcohol's the word. There's probably, I'm not, obviously I'm not an expert, but psychological reasons why people choose to do it in the first place. To... Well, we've got, you, you know, we've touched on my history, you know. Yeah. Mm. And I believe that, um, uh, you know, I think what upset me about, uh, I, I attacked Harry, let's get it right. Right. You know, we really had a Barney, you know. It was building up, but, but I just flew at him, you know. And where that fucking came from, no idea. And I, I think that's, looking back on that, scared me shitless, man. Mm. You know, that I had that kind of in me, if you understand what I mean. Yeah. You know, that, you know something fucking wrong here. And most treat, treatment, drug treatment centres that I've worked in, um, uh, you know, the, I think I talked about Lancaster Farms and Lancaster Castle Prison and stuff. You know, most of the people that you're dealing with have some kind of deep disturbance. Mm -hmm. Disturbance. We talk, you know, it's a, you know, hey, my name is Disturbance, you know. Mm. You know, pleased to meet you. <laughs> you know, and so there's all, yeah, in, in my humble opinion, there's always something deeper than just the disease of addiction. Mm. underneath it and that's what you need to get at yeah, yeah. that's root what you cause. need to get at yeah that's what you need root cause mm -hmm. is a good expression mm. root cause yeah so i faffed about really for some time playing music well i didn't like 
Um, I started playing country and western music because it paid a hell of a lot of money, mm. you know. And um, yeah, if I ever meet Billy Ray fucking Cyrus, <laughs> I've told you this. No. If I, ever, if I ever meet Billy Ray fucking Cyrus, I'm going to shoot the cunt. <laughs> because there's things like, um, uh, you know, uh, Preston Raiders, because I'd moved back up here, because this is another thing, my father was really ill. My father got really ill. He had another nervous breakdown. Mm. So I'd moved to Lancaster to the with a friend of mine. <coughs> um, and uh, I think I've told you this story. I'm about the P Polish Working Men's Club. No, nope. I don't think uh, so. Have I not told you this one? We're, we're playing, um, we're, we're playing, you see the Preston Raiders or Blackpool Indians or whatever, they're all, um, Associations, they all pay an annual dibs, yeah, thing membership, so, and that's why they've got so much fucking money. And mm. they take over like a big working men's club or something, you know. And this, this is the example. I've not told you this. I thought, this one where they go completely nuts. It was, oh, they do reenactments, don't control. they? Yeah, yeah, they all get dressed up as uh. Do, yeah. do gunfight reenactments and stuff. Ah, they used to do right. it in Longridge at Bull and Royal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One night a week, like every <laughs> Thursday nights, mate. Got Longridge probably hasn't got as much money. Well, like Preston Raiders, a big, I can't remember playing down here. But my favourite story about that is um, <laughs> uh, Tony, the guy I was working for, Gypsy Tony, he... Uh, uh, rang me up and said, uh, oh, you're going to be into this, Jim. Uh, we're playing a, a a Polish working men's club in, in Burnley. 150% um, proof homemade fucking vodka, goulash, pepper goulash. I went, oh, fucking right, all right, so I'm in. So <laughs> we turn up at this gig, right? And it put up outside, and Tony gets out and walks in to find out where we get the gear in, you know, and everything. So it comes back out, and um, we go around the side, and these fire doors open. Now, I used to have a manager who was black, who was born in Sierra Leone, but he was well, his people came from Sierra Leone, but he, he was born in Dundee. You know, so you've got this massive, tall black guy, you know, talking like they did up that weird did get back you know. And you think, that's not fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, automatically, don't you? Yeah. So anyway, the fire doors at this club opened and out stepped a Pakistani guy who had a right broad Lancashire accent. Just come right in here, lads. I'll show you it set up boat gear and everything. I said, right. But he was dressed up like fucking Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you start thinking, 
hang on a minute, I met a Polish working men's club in Burnley. <laughs> There's a, a Pakistani guy there with a broad Lancashire accent and he's dressed up like fucking John Wayne. <laughs> you know. Culture clash. That kind of shit. But uh, Tony also rang me up and I think this is one of my, what we call rock bottoms of the business, you know. Mm. Um, he said, uh, you're going to take a few days off, Jim away from the family because we're playing the Grand Old Opry. I went, what? He said, yeah, we're playing the Grand Old Opry. I said, get away. You're joking. He said, no. He said, this one's in Glasgow. <laughs> and it was under a big flyover, massive, um, <coughs> massive um, club. Um, and we were there for two weeks. Uh Played every night for two weeks. Country and Western. Lots of booze. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's an achy, breaking heart, man. Jeez. Mm. I, well. I used to have these people coming up every night saying, can you play achy, breaking heart again? <laughs> and just slow it down a bit so we can do a different dance to it. Line dancing. And it, yeah. 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 And I, oh, God, you know. And um, I was staying in a... Because I needed the money, because I had a big habit in those days. Sort of, you know, I was, um, I was staying in a, a in a bed and breakfast called the Ski and Do, and the Ski and Do, by the way, is the little knife that they have down the side of the uh, yeah, socks they're... when they've got a kilt on. Yeah, wow. <clears throat> but what I'm talking about is, you know, bare light bulb, six beds, two bar fire in the corner. You know, stick the stick the leads in your bed in your shoes, or else somebody would have them, and that kind of gap, you know. Okay. So, um, and I woke up the day after we finished, and and in those days, uh, that was kind of shocker. Uh, in those days, I used to start. I think I've talked to you about this on milk and alcohol. Yeah, Doctor John, Doctor John, he didn't uh, milk and alcohol. Uh, Dr. Feelgood. Dr. Feelgood, yeah, sorry. But it's, but my the way I used to start the day was like a, a pint glass, half full of milk and half full of Jack Daniels, sometimes with an egg in it, <sighs> breakfast, okay? And then I started on the pills and powders. Yeah. That's where I was. So, uh, but I, I had what we call... A moment of clarity mm. there because I heard my head say, Thank fuck I don't have to play the drums today. Mm. You know, and I actually heard myself think it, you know, and that's insane. Mm. That's me thinking, I, oh, I thank God I don't have to play drums. That's the love of my life. Yeah. Man. Raison d'etre. That's the love of my life, you know. Wow. So that was a big, that was a big moment there. Uh, uh, and I started thinking about it then, you know, I started thinking about getting clean. Uh, and I think the other thing that definitely got me clean was, um, well, that friend of mine in, uh, lives in Morecambe, actually, but I was living in, uh, he locked me in a flat at, he locked me in his 
in a flat at the top of his house. And he's an ex-bouncer, you know, from, used to bounce on the pier and stuff. And I was still fighting him to get fucking out, you know. Um, but I had a lot of fucking really good help from some amazing people. Um, I won't go into, into it too much. But, um, yeah, I think part and parcel of it was my my dad was really ill, you know. And uh, What sort of timeline is this? Is this, this bit mid-90s now? This is, uh, yeah, mid-90s. Right. Yeah. So you had uh, your dad had his was that the second stroke he had? Or the, no, it wasn't a stroke. He, he uh, got, sorry, nervous breakdown. He had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. He got diagnosed with manic <coughs> depression. You know, bloody hell. Which is about <clears throat> which is what uh, Jimi Hendrix. Had, yeah. You know, uh, <coughs> it's called oh, it's called bi bipolar now. Yeah. You know, uh, and I just you know it fucking knocked me sideways because he, he was such a I found out later on, and we'll get into this probably later, you know, in, in my um, kind of recovery and stuff. Uh, I found out he was one of the sweetest men alive, you know, when I started looking after him. But mm -hmm. I can remember him being, I mean, he's a self-made businessman here in Preston. And uh, pokey, you know, quiet, but, you know, firm but fair, if you mm -hmm. understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and it just, uh, it really hit me when I first saw him. Uh, it, uh, yeah, it was just like a rabbit in the headlights, you know. Mm. It was just like a rabbit in the headlights. Well, he just looked scared to fucking death, wow. you know, scared to death. And I stayed living with, um, I stayed living with, this friend of mine, um, uh, I can't, uh, the chronology is a bit weird. I'd got married for the second time. Then. Oh. Married? In, in uh, Morecambe. I've been married twice. Right. We've not talked about any love interests no. or no. anything so far. No. Uh, well, bless her, she'll, she'll understand this. My first wife, I think I was about 34, 35, mm -hmm. and she was 19. She was a model. Oh, wow. Beautiful fucking woman, you know. And But really, for the amount of emotional, uh, um, what's the word? Package? No, no, the emotional backwards and forwards between us. Ah. I, I may as well have, uh, you know, bought a tom-tom for the fucking drum kit, you know. Oh, there was, was no connection there. Not really, it's just sex, you know. And I was never there. Right. I was never there. You always on tour, yeah. So she divorced me. Yeah. So that was the second wife. That's a bit more complicated. I'll get into that maybe a bit later on. But um, uh, I'm, uh, but I'm still living with, um, just before I got married, I was still living with a guy who, who locked me in the, his... The bouncer in Morecambe. Yeah. But then I moved in with her, so uh, that was that. Um, uh, where was I? Did he get? Oh, you, did he get you clean? The 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 bouncer intervention. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I was still drinking though. Right. right. And um, <coughs> you get to know that you. I mean, this friend of mine has done. You know, has 
done a little bit of cocaine and a little bit of this and a, a little bit of that all his life, you know, mm. and still can. And he works on the rigs right. and stuff, you know, still can. What you come to realise if you're a real addict is you can't do that. No. You can't have one. No. 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 No, one is too many, they say, and a thousand never enough. There are, yeah. They yeah. talk about high-functioning um, heroin users, mm. people in business, people on Wall Street, mm. uh, you know, and they, they, use, they, they use heroin, but they somehow are able to manage it, whereas a, a, someone who's a, an addict, like you say, it's one just immediately leads to the next, doesn't it? And well, in uh, the 50s, you used to be able to... Uh, get a prescription for heroin. Yeah. You know, you could go to your doctor and say, well, I'm addicted to heroin, and he'd give you a prescription for it. Mm. You know, I mean, my my views on drugs, you know, I mean, just one question, you know, the war on drugs. Uh, are we winning? Mm. <laughs> are, we, are we winning? No. You know, you know. I th I think they should just make them all legal, because you know, look what happened with uh, with alcohol, prohibition. Prohibition. It invented the the uh, the mafia. Yeah. Mm. You know, and and this is anyway. That's another long story. We've talked well, about prohibition of drugs many times on the podcast. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. I'm not know about you, but I'm definitely of the same opinion that prohibition doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Do you know um, Portugal have legalised it? You know, there's a great. There's a, I can't remember what the guy's name is. Professor, somebody, brilliant stuff. You know, and I mean, it would do away with all that shit. You mm. know, it would do away with all that underground, narco, gang, shit. Oh, look at what's happening in Mexico with the the gang That's murders true. and the turf wars. I mean, it's it's uh, horrible. A, like a nightmare, man. Yeah. It's a fucking nightmare. And it's all because of the the you know the essential. Yeah. It essentially, comes down to prohibition. So, exactly. Yeah, legalize it, tax it, regulate it. I think and absolutely treat addicts as patients rather than criminals. Yeah, definitely. I think absolutely. the fear. Do you think the fear is that um, if they legalize it overnight that they think that everyone's just going <laughs> to take a ton of drugs. Come on, That's party. not the case. Yeah. People, if you want to take not. drugs, you're going to take them regardless of whether they're legal or not. That's and right. it's it's not I mean, it's uh, not just going to be a, a light bulb, is it? We've lost a, we've lost a trick here, really. You know, I mean, what what needs to be done, and what's always needed to be done, is to get to this fucking disturbance. Yeah. Yeah. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. If people are happy and they're well, there's no reason to take heroin. Fucking heroin every yeah. day. No, you're or right. Drinking every day. Yeah, or, exactly. I mean, it's inter interestingly <coughs> enough, when I I moved in with my parents, what ninety six, moved in with my parents, living in a kind of dormer bungalow, and I I moved in because. My wife and I won't get in on. My wife and I never got on, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, that's another story. Uh, and I, I had this uh, one room and a bathroom mm. in the kind of dorm of the bungalow. You know, I looked after my dad, and I, I found out that our family doctor 
what my father was on was two big yellow double dexedrines in the morning, speed, mm. and barbiturates at night, which is classed as the rock and roll nightmare, mm. right? So he'd have his breakfast, down these two pills with his coffee, and he'd be fucking up, mm. mowing the fucking lawns and, <laughs> you know, speeding all fucking day, yeah. and then out at night. So I got him up that. Got him up that shit, and he's coming round. He's coming round, man. Mm. Yeah. The problem is, is the pharmaceutical lobby is so powerful, uh, and uh, not quite as bad as the gun one. I don't know about that. Uh, in America, anyway, I would money. Uh, I think money, political contributions. I think big pharma are probably number one. Probably. I think there's a famous statistic. I think there's two pharmaceutical lobbyists for every member of Congress. Uh, in see Washington. these? Yeah. CIS, yeah. Have you seen the film The Outsider? No. It's a great film. The, He's uh, waving a packet of cigarettes. <laughs> it, it's uh, um, Al Pacino and <laughs> and the guy in and the guy in Gladiator. Russell Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe Crow plays this. Um, oh, plays this. Six. Uh, it's a true story. Yeah, journalist, isn't he? No, Al Pacino's a journalist, 60 Minutes journalist, and he was whistleblowing the whole the whole tobacco industry. Yeah. Um, you know, what they put in it and all, all the rest of it. And they came after him like a like, like the fucking mafia. <coughs> Hell's ball, yeah. Know? I mean, they were doing all sorts. They were paying scientists off to, to rig, rig um, research and all yeah. sorts, weren't they? The, um, but the quote that fucked me up in that movie was when Russell Crowe just turns around to Al Pacino and he says, listen, what you've got to remember is that the tobacco industry in this country makes more money than America. Hmm. I, don't, I don't get it. So <laughs> more, more money than uh, the economy. So the yeah. entire Yeah, more money than America. America. And, uh, and there are a few things like that. Big Pharma is one of them. The NRA isn't, but uh, but the NRA, I think, have got more political clouds because of the Constitution. Yeah, I'm more, I'd be more worried about Northrop Grumman, Boeing. I bet the um, tobacco industry did VA at some systems. point. <laughs> I bet the tobacco industry was one of these big earners at some point, but... That would have changed now. I bet British American tobacco aren't aren't as big a players as they used to be. Oh, I don't know. The, you know what they're into now? Vaping, vaping, buying up all the vaping companies. Yeah, they're into vaping. They're not they're idiots, also, and no, they're no. also into uh, you know get their fingers into uh, cannabis. This oh, is another big problem. Marijuana, man. Mm. All these mom and pop shops that exploded with the legalization of marijuana—they're all been put out of business now. By, by big corporations coming mm. in and doing it on an industrial Always scale. Always a fucking sign. Yeah, it is. Always a fucking sign, man. That's capitalism, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't you just goddamn love it? It's, <laughs> as Jean would say, welcome to goddamn capitalism, people. Welcome to capitalism, yeah. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, guns, death. The yeah. works. The works. Oh, man. 
So, yeah, so I'm I'm kind of uh, kind of into my clean bit now, aren't I? Mm. How did you How did you actually get finally clean first time? Well, the guy looking me in the top of his house helped. I was a catalyst. Yeah, but you were still on the booze. And then I was well. I had a I I had a few relapses. Mm. What I call relapses, you know, where you you go some time clean, and then um, and that's when I realised that uh, I was an addict, true Mm. addict. You know, people I've studied it. You know, people say it could be genetic. People say it could be, uh, you know, nature or nurture. Mm. People say it, it can be, you know, all kinds of fucking things, you know. But um, it is what it is, you, you know. And uh, and like you say, you know, everybody's, uh, I think everybody's addiction is, is individual. Yeah. And the reasons why, I mean, you can blanket it, but. You know, um, but, but getting down, it, it was, I mean, I realised that I couldn't live with them and I couldn't live without them. So uh, at one time I, you know, I tried to commit suicide there. That's, that's, the, that's the right way, by the way. It's, uh, yeah, Jim Sean has a scar on his wrist. That's the right way. And I was in hospital and came round, uh, and instead of thinking, you know, whoopee, I'm alive, I, I about three days later, I pulled all the bits and pieces out of me and went back, knocked on the dealer's door, you know, to put into me what what um, what had put me in hospital in the first place. Now that's insanity, you know. Mm-hmm. I've come to I've come to know the difference between crazy. Which is shit like you know swimming with sharks and stuff. Mm. You know, that's called bungee jumping into a into a nightclub car park full of foam. That's crazy. <laughs> <coughs> Insane is doing that kind of shit. Mm. You know the, the definition of insanity is repeating the same same thing over and over again yeah. and expecting a different outcome. That's exactly what insanity is. Mm. Yeah, and I, I and of course just. After that, after I'd ended up, um, uh, I don't know, falling down, hitting a policeman or something, I can't remember quite what, uh, you know, they put me in a, in a, in a closed ward for, for six months. A closed ward, is that? Uh, yeah. What's that Section. mean? An institution. Right, psychiatric. Yeah. Right. Institution. And, uh, and I can remember, uh, you know, I mean, it's. Uh, I remember thinking, I don't belong in here. Yeah, I don't belong in here. And then after about a week or so, you find out that everybody fucking thinks that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even the guy at the window, you know, is, they're shouting that there's a an army of giant ants coming up the fucking. <laughs> you know, even he thinks he shouldn't be in there. Hell's bells. You know, so you know. So you were a week in, in there, was it? Six months. A month. Six, m- Six months. Six months? Yeah. Fuck. Six months. But I got my head together in there. Well, yeah, and you wouldn't be able to access any no. substances. Well, I had some, uh, uh, 
you know, downers. You were prescribed medication yeah. while you're in there, were you? Prescribed right. medication while I was in there. Uh, but um, soon got up those through people who I'd met who knew knew stuff. I started meeting people who knew stuff about addiction, you know. Mm. So, <clears throat> and um, and that was that. And then, yeah, I, uh, you know, I think I was about, I, w I was in the throes of moved back in, in with my parents and I was um, I was still drinking because mm. I thought you know it, that's a one of the biggest cons out you know that drinking's okay it's been hard you know? yeah and it's probably the worst drug going mm. you know um, I was still drinking and um, but I, I was able to help my dad a bit <coughs> but then I had some um, I had a couple of really bad episodes on alcohol and and just decided to knock it knock it all on the head apart from these mm, yeah. fucking cigarettes which is a uncle sammy remember remember uncle, uncle sammy? sammy yeah uncle sammy you got you onto the fags fags yeah so that was that really and i and i started um yeah i started what's called recovery really and I think it was part and parcel of um, a combination of things. You know that that moment of clarity in the in the ski and do. I'm <laughs> thinking, what the fuck is going on here? What, you don't want to play drums today. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's something wrong going on here. Uh, and the, and my father, I think, my father, uh, and also. Um, just before that, I was bringing him up, my little grandson, as mm. well. So I was going backwards and forwards between uh, Morecambe, my wife's place, and, and it was a bit chaotic, but uh, yeah. But I put yeah, when I, I finally moved in with my uh, with my parents. Put it that way. So yeah. And is that when that when you finally became clean, as in to this day? Yeah. Wow. And how long ago well, was the, that? Well, the, the I take my clean day from uh, April the first, nineteen ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. Yeah. Twenty-two years. Yeah. Uh, coming up. Uh, oh, twenty-three next, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Twenty-three right. in April. Twenty-three next. Yeah, so <clears throat> I don't know where we where we want to go go from here. Really, that's the kind of end of my uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll career, I guess. Uh, yeah. But not rock and roll. No. So I don't know where you want to go. Where do you want to go from here? We could talk about uh, travels and charity work. You've been. Um, Right, well, um, I, I was thinking about this today, you know. Uh, I mean, 22 years is a long time, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Actually, what I was thinking about was, you know, we've done, what is it, three hours? Three hours. I've got yeah. 60, almost 68 years into three hours, you know. Mm. Which is <laughs> not bad going, really. Oh. A few bits and pieces I've left out. 
some on purpose and some not. <laughs> uh, you know, so, well, yeah, I've, I'd been living with my mum and dad for a while and I'd got clean. Um, my dad was kind of looking better because I'd got him off the, of the you know, prescribed stuff and got him onto what it, what it, I mean, he needed, he needed heart medication and his blood pressure was enormous. Uh, anxiety, I think, mostly, you know. Um, but uh, I think I've touched on this before. There was a couple of friends of mine, um, uh, Gary, Fistlethwaite. Bass player. Yeah. And so I'd started playing with these guys in a band called Hustle. It was called a hustle in Lancaster, and uh, uh, we kind of formed this app, this band called Underground Ballroom. It's called It first. It uh -huh. I like that. I like short things like the Who, mm -hmm. the Who. Um, you won't like Ned's Atomic Dustbin then. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen? Have you seen that thing on? Have you seen that thing on Facebook with a? It's like a sixties festival poster. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 a mock one. <laughs> yes, it's brilliant. Them, bad with names some of the most ridiculous <laughs> fucking band names. Yeah, it must have taken them hours to. <laughs> yeah, it must have taken them hours to think all that shit. Because that's the thing about bands, you know. You all get into a room at some time, you know. After writing smoke list a of names. Of fucking oh god, we. You know, smoke a lot of dope, drink a lot of booze, and end up calling yourself the lampshade. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of shite goes mm. on. Huh? Yeah. So I got together with them, and um, I played a few gigs. I had to run away from one. Uh, we were playing a jazz club in Altrincham, and um, ah, fuck, I, I turned up at eight o'clock, and we were playing at midnight, I think. Oh, um, God. Set the stuff up and, uh, you know, there's a massive fucking bar there. Yeah, you can't and, and, and I could smell marijuana in the air. <laughs> and every time I went to the toilet, it was like walk, fucking walking in a dentist, you know. Yeah, lines. Sniff, sniff, sniff. So I had to run. I just ran away. Yeah. But this is what these guys are like, you know. They just they just played as a three-piece, packed my drums up and brought them home. You know, <laughs> you know. Brilliant, man. Yeah. So really nice guys, and um, and then a couple of friends of mine. I've talked about this. The uh, deconsecrated. I've deconsecrated, remembered the word. Yeah, yeah. I've remembered the word. <laughs> deconsecrated. Um, uh, I'm just breaking these teeth in for a dog. Sorry. <laughs> deconsecrated a church in Scotland. Uh, oh. Martin. Uh, Martin Hughes and Adrian Hughes, Martin and Adrian Hughes, twins actually, uh, and they, they were all friends of mine because they'd been, they'd had a uh, an equipment hire company mm. in Lancaster, I think, or Morecambe, can't remember quite which. Uh, they used to supply stuff to bands way back in the sixties, you know, about the same age as me and everything, and I got talking to them. And they said, um, you know, because I was going, oh, you know, I'm loving playing with these guys and everything. And so I wanted to come in and 
work in this because they run local studios. Yeah, you know, one that you oh, yeah. come in and 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 just subside. So I, I can't persuade the guys. You know, they're just they're not really interested in. Uh, they got interested later on, but they said, "Well, why don't you make your own music, Jim?" And I went, oh, God, God. "You know, I'm not Billy Cobham." You know, you know what I mean? Um, I said no, uh, and I've been talking about. Uh, this friend of mine who was who had uh, was suffering from uh, uh, sickle cell anemia complications mm. in, in America, in, not in America, in the Bahamas, yeah. and uh, uh, and he was dying, but not from sickle cell, but because his immune system was fucked, um, and. Um, and they said, well, why don't you come into the studio, uh, I don't know, do your, you know, because he's a raster guy, do your favourite reggae track, uh, make a dub of it on the back or something, or recording a, bring out a 12-inch single and flog it and make something, you know, they said, well, there's, you know, there's bound to be a sickle cell society or something yeah. in England. <coughs> <clears throat> and I couldn't really argue with that. No. So, you know, because I've been moaning that I've been hanging around my parents and, and stuff. My mum was okay. My mum could deal with it, so I wasn't there all the time. I went back to college as well during this time, but I'll, I'll get into that later. Um, I, I couldn't really say no to that, so they put me with this young guy, Alan Kenyon, um, who's now... Now works in a hospital in um, in Blackpool. Mm. Uh, a young engineer guy, who we just got on like a house on fire, you know. We started. I was doing Dennis uh, Dennis Brown's he uh, Heavenless Rhythm, Slime Robbie, Slime Robbie beat really. Um, uh, Your love's got a hold on me was the track. And uh, we just got into it. And he introduced me to all these amazing, you know, the Chemical Brothers, uh, Left Field, the Afro-Celtic Sound System, Orbital, you know, all this kind of weird and wonderful dance. Mm. Dance come reggae come bits and this and that and the other. Africa Bambata and uh, Saint-Germain, all, all these weird and wonderful bands mm. and it, it just took off and uh you know one track turned into the, my first cd nice my first cd available um, at all good streaming services i believe it yeah, is no. yeah spotify's got all my stuff itunes mm -hmm. music apple music for free well yes itunes you can buy it for uh 99p but if you're talking about global capitalism <laughs> uh, if you spend ninety nine p on uh, on a track of my music, I get naught point naught one pence. Wow, naught point naught one pence. I'll run that past you again. Naught point naught one pennies from ninety nine pennies. Thank you. Mm. You know, good evening. Who runs the music business? Google, mm. Apple, Spotify. Don't get any money from Spotify. No, unless people, you know, but I mean, Spotify. You can play all all my music is on Spotify, mm -hmm. 
and you can play it for Paco. So who's going to buy it? Yeah. You know, I mean, I can go in and I don't know, I can go in and listen to, I don't know, Jimi Hendrix's Band of Gypsies, like an all afternoon, and I don't have to pay for it at all. No. You know, no, I can't don't. really get my head around how that works. But Streaming they, has completely changed the music business now. Hasn't advertising, it? isn't it? Yeah. Advertising, as the, Bill Hicks said. Oh, by the way, people, if there are any advertisers in the audience, then fucking kill yourself. <laughs> advertising. Yeah. Bands have to make the money through live performance now, merchandise, don't they? Yeah. Uh, because um, if they can. Yeah, that's their only option, I think. <coughs> I mean, so. the unfortunate part about that is if you haven't got a name, how are you going to make money out of gigs? Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Well, but prices for bands has, has rocketed up, hasn't it, over the last 10, 15 years for this reason? There's been yeah. a big scandal about that, hasn't there, where, where um, agents and ticket masters have, have been buying... Oh, yeah, Live Nation. Live Nation. Yeah. <laughs> Those shies. That was them very, twats. <laughs> they were the very ones I heard in the report, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they offered us a sponsorship deal the other week. <laughs> they did. Did they? Yeah. yeah. For the podcast. Time to shove it. <laughs> it's true. All true. I'd be interested to talk to you about how that fucking works afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I think I get the Not picture. very well for us. I think we'll see you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My horse is still sore. <laughs> Glo global ca capitalism. Cabal. Yeah. So, and then what I did was... Um, Another of my step-grandchildren, I was, uh, and my wife's just kind of talking about this new project, and um, and I, I decided that what I would do was I'd make these CDs and get in touch with, I got in touch with the Sickle Cell Society and, uh, you know, uh, said I was going to see, is it okay, you know, I have to do it all officially and everything, so uh, yeah. I could use their um, number and everything. This is the first charity thing I've, I've ever done, I think. Yeah, it was the first. Um, and I decided that what I was going to do was, back in the old days, in the old, you know, blues and rock and roll days, people you just used to load loads of CDs into a motor, and, uh, and uh, I, I got a long list of... Uh, leading reggae shops in, uh, in in the country, and I just took two weeks off and drove round loads mm. of them mm. and dropped off, um, you know, 20 years, sailor return, 20 there, sailor return, that kind, of, that kind of thing. But I was at home, you know, talking about this, you know, you know. Yeah, so I dropped on them and so-and-so, such-and-such records in London and so-and-so, and, uh, and my, my, one of my grandchildren, so I was shaking his head like that. I went, what's the matter? And I said, oh, I said, no, granddad, that's not the way to do it. And I went, what do you mean it's not the way to do it? He said, you need to be on Tinternet. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. that's when I first got on the internet now, <clears throat> back then. So what was that? That was about year 2099. So yeah, it's like the birth of iTunes, isn't it? Yeah. Around that time. Right, right. I would have thought. <coughs> Napster era, was it? Um, 
Napster was about 99. I don't know. Foggy on that. I remember the other one. What was the other one where you could have a page and everything? MySpace. MySpace. MySpace, yeah. Arctic Monkeys. The Arctic Monkeys were discovered on MySpace. Were they? Yeah. So it's their fault. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, they're quite good, the Arctic Monkeys, on the side. Hell of a drummer. Yeah. Oh, Matt Heater. Good band, actually. Hell of a, yeah. yeah. Fucking good band. I don't care what anybody says. Bit samey for me. Well, <laughs> well yeah. not well, a huge yeah. fan, but you know, it's all right. Oh, we can't all be. We can't all be fucking miscellaneous, can we? You know. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> this is. By the way, that's on all, on all my CDs. You know, right? File under miscellaneous. <laughs> <laughs> because there's always a, there's a place in a, in a record job, isn't there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Miss. It says miscellaneous. Yeah. Yeah. And in it, you've got things like the Sun Ra Orchestra. Mm. And then Doris Day sings Bob Dylan. Yeah. You know, all yeah. kinds of fucking weird shit. That's where I belong. Chris Waddle and Glenn Oddle. Weird, weird, yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing of the past now, Jim, isn't it? Record going to a record shop, so oh, going into HMV and looking for the different sections. There'd be the metal section and the. It's coming Listen, back, coming uh, back now. Who, with who's, the guy who, who's the guy who runs Action Records? Uh, Gordon. Gordon, yeah. Is it Gordon? Yeah, what Gordon. Fucking well, darling. Yeah, he's he, a nice he guy. He took loads. Of, he sold loads of them. Man. Oh, yeah. future guest. He, yeah, he I'm sure Ben had come on. Ben's been working there for. He he Years. sold fucking loads of them, and just now when I moved here, he bought my record collection. Right, I've t- sold a lot of stuff before, mm. uh, and a friend of mine took it into him, and I'm thinking maybe a ton, you know what I mean? I'm thinking maybe a ton at the outside, mm. really. There's nothing rare, uh, particularly, Got a lot of good reggae stuff and all that, but nothing rare. Um, and he rang me up about a week later, and he said, Jim, how are you doing? He went, fine. He said, how does 400 quid sound? I went, fucking yeah. Are you sure? He went, yeah, man, yeah. Because he sold a lot of my first CD. Did he? Yeah, yeah. good man. Good man. And another guy from Ear Air Records, do you know Ear Air in Lancaster? But of course, when I got on the internet, that, that was that. And um, my oldest grandson, the guy who'd gone, you know, need to be on the internet, he set it all up for me. Yeah. He set the website up, you know, and, uh, and he's typing away. Dreamweaver. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and I'm, and then he's, he's going, Do you want to be able to take PayPal, Grandad? And I went, <laughs> Uh, does it hurt? What's that? Yeah, the, you know. So he set up all that shit. Eleven years old. Wow, amazing! It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, from there, it just took the fuck right off. It really did take. Did off. well. Did well the the first album for Sickle Cell. Did it? It did very well. Good. Excellent. I got an award. You got an award. An award. I got an award. Yes. I got an award from Doctor Asa and Quoko. Right. Who was the then chairman of um, of Sickle Cell, and then I got a letter saying you have been invited to to Number Ten Downing Street. Mm. Amazing! I feel uh, a good story coming on. on, the, on the, <laughs> I've told you this one. I'm not. No, not on the podcast. You haven't. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. So, well, down to London I go. 
Um, I was a bit disappointed because I, I wanted it to be Tony Blair oh, because it was just after the fucking Iraq War, oh, I think, and yeah. uh, I wanted to shake him by the hand, you know, when you're doing the pictures, you know, going, you fucking warmongering bastard, ride my, my fucking way, I'd fucking, you know. But it was his missus. Cherie. Uh, Cherie Blair. I got to like her, I must say. Hmm? I was only there for a day or an afternoon or evening. Um yeah, so uh, uh, number ten. There's a great, great big railings. I don't know. Yes, have yeah. you been to number ten? Yeah, recently. Yeah. There's a big. Have you been in? No, no. I've but, seen the railings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a big railings, and then there's the first bit of security uh, where you've got to go through. And I can't remember what you. I think you leave your bags there and stuff, and then you walk up. This kind of pebbled little pebbled street to the number ten door, and there was a queue going in, and I settled down behind these two people, and um, uh, awards night, and then I felt these two hands on my shoulders, and it was Doctor Asa and Quoko, and he said, he said, Ah, oh, Jim, 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 my favourite reggae drummer, my favourite reggae drummer, how are you? Big kiss on both cheeks and everything. He's a French guy. Um, well, French, African French, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, he said, "Ah, oh, we've got all our, we've got all our music, music uh, stars together. Have you met uh, MC Romeo and Lisa Mapia from uh, from the So Solid crew?" And I went, <laughs> "No, I haven't." And uh, I'd seen her, Lisa Mappy, beautiful oh, woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful woman. And MC Romo. Uh, beautiful man. Said, oh, we've got all our, we've got all our music stars together. That's really good. <laughs> and um, we're going in, 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 in fours. Right. Right. They'd, they'd open the door and then four people would go in and then they'd close the door. <laughs> so this is the, the last bit of security. So they open the door. Lisa Mapia and uh, MC Romeo go in and, um, oh, by the way, I, I've been talking to them, you know, and I'd made quite a bit of money, but they'd just come from making two over 250 grand <laughs> from one gig in fucking wow. Paris, you know wow. what I'm saying? So I put me in my place. Uh, <clears throat> but we all went in, and as soon as it came out of his mouth, because there's a, a policeman there and a female policeman. Uh, as soon as it came out of his mouth, I thought, no, you shouldn't have said that, Dr. Asa. He said, he said, I hope you realise you've got some famous people here. This is MC Rod Romeo and uh, Lisa Mafia from the, from the infamous So Solid crew <laughs> gang from South London. <laughs> and this is one of the best reggae drummers in England. You know... <laughs> Drugs. Yeah. Drugs, yeah. So they had us and um yes. <laughs> and well before well before any prostate examination that I've been through and we'll probably get that we'll probably get into that in a in a later episode. Yes, absolutely. Um yeah. yes, I had my uh, yeah, pull on the rubber glove and <laughs> cavities were searched. And were you next to Lisa Mafia during the search? <laughs> No, 
ladies' room. Right. The ladies' room, Phil. Well, you were cavity searched in 10 Downing Street. Yeah. That's some claim to fame, man. That's a fucking... She was livid, man. Who was livid? Raging Lisa. I bet she was. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous, really. That's what they call racial profiling, isn't it? Uh, is it racial profiling? I, I'm not sure. The connection well, was no, music. Because I'm, I'm white, isn't it? It's kind of, it's kind of music, cultural, social, music cultural profiling, cultural yeah. profiling. Yeah. These cultural are, profiling. They're uh, a rap, a rap ensemble <laughs> from South <laughs> London. So yeah. the the might they might have drugs on them. Yeah. What? Why were they at Downing Street, Lisa Mafia, and were they doing a charity thing as well, a charity gig or something? No, they were. They raised the most money of any musical. Wow. Group. Right. Within that year. Right. See. Like I say, the two over two hundred and fifty grand. Right. That was for the charity thing. Just yeah, yeah just for. Um, no way. Raised for that, yeah. Right. Okay. I was got talking to uh, MC Romeo, like a lovely bloke. <coughs> I mean, they they were responsible, almost single-handedly, that mob. And it was a mob, you know. They were they were a gang, mm. really. So solid crew, um, uh, single-handedly built about half a dozen clinics. Wow, that's really you know, good. Which is, you know, when um, when Lisa Mafia was having a cavity search. It's, I wonder if she'd have gone. He's a bit fixed on this. Isn't he he is, is, yeah. I, can, I've just, I can just imagine him saying, "Stuck in a loop." <laughs> I can just imagine him saying, "How long is this going to take?" And the guy doing it saying, it's "About twenty-one seconds." <laughs> that was the hit, wasn't it? <laughs> dear oh dear oh dear oh dear me. <laughs> dear oh dear oh dear oh, me. So uh, that's your that's your uh, award. Yeah. And uh, I've got some pictures of it somewhere. I've got a picture of Sherry Blair hold, <laughs> holding my CD up. Oh, right. yeah. In between Lisa Mafia and uh, Romeo. MC Romeo and stuff. You know, and, uh, the guy with a rubber glove in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been up his arse, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bastards. Oh, God. Well, on that note, we've done over, over an hour and a half. Really? Right. Yeah. I think right. we should. Should we adjourn for this week and uh, come back in a bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, no problem. It's uh, as usual, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's, it's been great, mm. and, and I'm uh, glad I remembered some shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sun is getting low, as they say. Yeah, yeah. that's it's gone. Yeah, that's gone. Is it uh, extra dark today. It's extra dark. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's dark. <laughs> so we'll adjourn for this week. Um, thanks for listening, eavesdroppers. Yeah, thank thanks you. for coming on again, Jim. Thank you. That's absolutely no problem. And uh, I'm, I'm into it, man. We'll see you again soon. We don't know what we're doing next we'll week. See you soon. Um, oh, yeah. I'm at I'm at a festival. Oh, you're at Green Man. Yeah, yeah. I'll be reporting oh, from a, from a festival. Yeah, we'll Skype festivals. In. We'll figure I remember, out. I remember they used to have a rock a rock festival at Bickershaw, which I played at, and we played in between. Dr. John the Night Tripper and fucking Captain Beefheart. Oh, which nice. was, I tell you what, that was a fucking education. Oh, <laughs> Dr. John had his three enormous backing singers, you know, doing the 
splinters, you know, and chucking fucking, chucking chickens and chicken feathers into the audience and green tree and shit, you know. And Captain Beefheart was just extraordinary. I've never seen a fucking band like that before in my life. Not so. They were like, oh, I don't know what they were like, you know. They were so tight, though. They were so ridiculous, but so tight at the same. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were just consummate musicians. Fucking hell. It was the first time I'd come up against Beefheart. (laughs) Amazing voice. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway. That's for next time, kiddies. Yeah. All right. Take it easy, droppers. Wakanda forever. Bye-bye.